You're listening to a sermon from Red Door Church in Melbourne. For more information, go to reddoorchurch.com.au. Finally, all of you be like-minded and sympathetic. Love one another and be compassionate and humble, not paying back evil for evil or insult for insult, but on the contrary, giving a blessing since you were called for this, so that you may inherit a blessing. For the one who wants wants to love life and to see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. And let him turn away from evil and do what is good. Let him seek peace and pursue it, because the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do what is evil. Who then will harm you if you if you are devoted to what is good? But even if you do suffer for, for righteousness, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear or be intimidated. But in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy ready at any time to give a defence to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that when you are accused, those who disparage your good conduct in Christ will be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be. Good morning. Good morning to those of you who are on Zoom. And how many people have we got joining us on Zoom this morning? Sorry? Nine. There you go. So at least nine of those empty seats are in Anne's computer at the back. So that's good. Welcome to week two of um, a series of three that James and I are calling Hopefully. Not so much hopefully as hopefully. As you read through uh, the books of Peter, and particularly the first one that we're focused, the two of us are focusing on. James will be bringing the third message next week, and um, it's a very full book. And if you haven't had time to read it much, um, do it, but give yourself some time, because there's lots of instructions there, and there's a tendency to almost feel a bit gloomy in it, um, because uh, he's talking a lot about. Um, problems is a big focus as we shared last week on on the death and resurrection particularly of Christ he's talking this week a lot about persecution and the trials that many of us are or will go through and one of the things that Peter talks about and mentions and we will mention in a few minutes is that if you're not in trouble now you will be soon doesn't sound very encouraging does it that's why the theme is hope fully, because Peter goes on 
to fill us with hope, a full hope that irrespective of what's happening, if we stay, if we remain in Christ, then it's, it's all taken care of. I heard a, a story a while back about um, a pastor, a very a godly man, who was uh, in hospital and facing some very serious surgery. I don't know what surgery was, but the day before the surgery, a friend had come uh, to the hospital to, to pray with him, to visit and pray with him. And so the, the old pastor, I had a very interesting thing happen this morning, he said to his friend. Or, or what was that? Well, the nurse came in and she picked up the chart and she looked at what was happening and what I was going to face the next day. And she said to me, well, I guess you're preparing for the worst. I wouldn't have thought a great encouraging thing for a nurse to say, but anyway. So I smiled at her and I said, no, I'm preparing for the best because I'm a Christian and God has promised to work all things together for my good. He went on, boy, did she drop that chart and leave the room in a hurry. <laughs> Anybody ever challenged you about your hope? about your faith and then dropped the chart and ran <laughs> when you started to give a defence of the faith. When Peter wrote this, uh, he was warning the church of the day uh, because uh, they were under some threat, but the threat was deepening. The, Roman, the Romans were becoming more and more uh, a persecutor rather than a leader of an area. And uh, Peter wrote to warn of even more fiery persecution to come. But as we read the book of Peter, we find that he was extremely optimistic about it. He was very positive. It didn't seem to get him down. In the 30 years since the Lord had been crucified, Peter had learnt a lot when he wrote these books and his faith had been encouraged and built up. I remember a wonderful old pastor that I had a lot to do with many years ago telling me to approach everything with a positive attitude. He said, you need to be optimistic about things when you're facing every day. He said, especially in your prayer life. He went on to say, for example, if you're praying for someone who's really sick, then a great way to go into prayer is to pray positively and, and pray with a picture of that person in your mind in a state of wellness, not sick. He said that's a great way to approach it. He said if you're praying for some war-torn country, a country that's full of natural disasters, then when you're praying for that country, don't have a mind, a picture in your mind that you've got off a newspaper of, of bombs and everything. He said have a picture of the lush uh, countryside of that country, the beautiful mountain areas, and pray in a positive manner. And he said, try to do the same as you approach each day. And this is the same thing that Peter is trying to encourage us in chapter 3 of this first book. I, I uh, think you probably picked up last week, I'm a reader, I enjoy reading John Stott. Uh, he's one of my favourite authors. I've never heard him preach except on a tape. Um, but one of the things he says is, Christian suffering, suffering for Jesus, suffering for the sake of righteousness, 
is what Peter is addressing in his books. He says that for Christians, suffering is inevitable. It is impossible to be a Christian and not suffer, just as it is impossible to be a Christian and not worship or pray or have fellowship with other believers. Not really that encouraging, is it? <laughs> Thankfully, he goes on to tell us to prepare for the best because the best is yet to come. What I like about Peter's book is not so much um, talking about um, facing today's problems and dealing with those, but he's taking the long-term view and we need to get that balance. I think sometimes uh, in the church we tend to be a little bit, I don't know how to put it, um, you know, we face heaven and everything will be well. Well, that's true, but it's only half the story. What Peter is telling us here in chapter 3, and we're going to investigate a little this morning, is that it's now as well. That whatever you're facing, whatever you're going through, whatever the world is facing and going through with Christ, we can face it in a positive way. Because we know, because of the resurrection we talked about last week, that all this has been conquered already. Illness, suffering, death, it's all been conquered. It's all done. Christ already has the victory for us. And if we've accepted Christ as our saviour, then the victory is also ours. He didn't do it for himself. He did it for you and me. It's important to grasp that. And not just that one day you hope you'll get through this life somehow and that then we'll get to heaven and all will be well. No, no, no. Christ died and rose again so that you can live well now in spite of what's happening. And that's what I found very reaffirming this week as I was looking at this chapter. One of the ways Peter says we need to do this, if, if you look further, is, is uh, he maintains that we need to cultivate Christian love. We need to cultivate Christian love. As you study the books of Peter, you'll find that love is one of his major themes. Not only love of God or God's love for us, but the love we should hope we should have for each other and for other people. It's a bit like uh, once you become one of God's followers, you receive faith. As you study and, and know the Lord more, your faith increases. It grows, if you like, and you share it with others. As you are blessed, you bless others. And Peter's saying, now as you receive love, you love others. It's all part of the same process. It takes a lot of patience, I'm sure. I, personally, for me, I've found in my Christian experience that I reckon patience is one of God's um, premier gifts because I haven't been one uh, that God has been uh, easy to train in a Christian way. He's had a lot of patience with me as he's allowed me to fail time and time again, often learning the same lesson many times, but still loving me and leading me. I think as we grow in our Christian faiths, we would all agree uh, that our love for other people does grow. And uh, you're here this morning, I think, at least partly, if you're a regular at Red Door, because you love the people you come Sunday morning to worship with. That's part of being in Christ. 
But there's a lot of people that are a little difficult to love, don't you reckon? And I mean apart from your family. <laughs> what about the people that really get on your nerves? You know, those people that just won't agree with you, won't say that they're in the wrong when you know you're not in the wrong. The neighbour's kid who always makes too much noise right outside your kitchen window or kicking his ball into your yard all the time. What about that difficult boss? He's always uh, giving really difficult and unreasonable deadlines. Remember, in a previous church, Judy and I worshipped, there was a, a little bit of an odd character, one would have to say. He was uh, coming to the church for a number of years and, and probably maybe twice a month he would come, uh, but a very difficult man to love uh, because you knew when he was in church, even before you saw him, because he had a particular odour about him because he was a street person. He was filthy. And uh, he smelt. And as you went around the church building, which was fairly large, you knew he'd been there because things lingered. A very difficult man to love. And yet in that church, there were people that got alongside him and discipled him and brought him to Christ. They loved him to Christ. Scripture, Peter tells us that the whole of the law is summed up in love and that the whole of human relationship is fulfilled in love. Paul tells us in Romans, we do not owe anyone anything except to love one another. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The commandments do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet. And any other commandment summed up by this one, love your neighbour as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbour. Love, therefore, is the fulfilment of the law. And then on top of love, Peter says that this love should be evidenced by a unity of spirit, a unity of mind among believers. And I don't think unity means that we all have to agree on everything. I don't think it means uniformity so much, but um, agreeing to disagree. Christians can differ in how things are to be done. The basic thing is they have to agree on what has to be done. And why? Those of you who know us know that we spent some time missionary service overseas. When we first went to our very first appointment, there was a guy there that um, wasn't the field leader, but he was my immediate supervisor. And uh, he was an American. Perhaps that says enough. But no, no, I shouldn't say that. But he really used to rub me the wrong way. Not directly to me. We got on quite well. 
but he was a very difficult man to work with. He was extremely, extremely self-opinionated. And he was unfortunately one of those Americans who thought that only Americans had the answer to every problem in the world. Many of his staff were people who I would say were of the Commonwealth, Canadians and Britishers, and there was one Irish girl who he gave a dreadfully hard time to because she didn't have the same thoughts about life as he thought she should have and as they did in America. And I, I, I coped with it for about three months and then it, it just got to be too much for me and I went to our field leader and said, you know, I'm having a really difficult time with this bloke. Can you help me? And he said, well, you've only been here three months. He said, I've been here 25 years and had to work with this, this fellow. And he said, what I've come to learn and what's helped me to love him and appreciate him, even though he doesn't always do things the way I think he should do, is that he does everything from his heart. His motive is absolutely pure. He lives extremely close to God. And what he's doing, he's doing the way he thinks God wants him to do. And I've found that after 25 years, who am I to judge him? It was a great lesson I learned as a fairly young man to judge people by their motives and not by their actions. Because even in the church, we can be very different. Peter then tells us that another evidence of this love should be shown in compassion. Another of my favorite authors is Warren Weasby. And he describes compassion as a sincere feeling for and with the needs of others for and with the needs of others. He goes on to say that we should not get downhearted toward each other, but that we must share both joys and trials, because after all, we are brothers and sisters in the same family. Paul told the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 4.9 that we are taught of God to love one another. And then Peter says, we should love, sorry, love should reveal itself in a tenderness, tenderness of heart towards others. Something the Romans didn't understand. You know, the, the Romans actually of the day were a very cruel race of people. They didn't respect life. They didn't respect lives. People weren't important. The emperor and the kingdom were the only thing that was important and they couldn't understand these Christians. And it's, it's a big part of why they persecuted the Christians so badly was that they couldn't understand this love for the, that the Christians had for each other and even for the Roman soldiers themselves. The Romans just couldn't come to grips with love or compassion and didn't show either. There's a tendency, I think, today and um, I often find myself in this situation when you watch the news or read a newspaper that there's so much bad and horrific news every day in every area of the media that you tend to become insulated and by doing that you become unfeeling toward others. Peter says that's not the way we do it as Christians. 
We need to cultivate compassion. And we need to actively show others that we are concerned. It's nice to pray for them in the quietness and the solitude of our prayer life. It's even better to stand beside them and express that compassion and that love in the way you speak, in the way you act, in your response to their situation. The big issue comes, I think, when we are faced with this loving our enemies bit. Peter refers to that. Finally, all of you be like-minded and sympathetic. Love one another and be compassionate and humble. Here we go. Not paying back evil for evil or insult for insult, but on the contrary, giving a blessing, since you were called for this, so that you may inherit a blessing. What was the tendency that you had the last time you experienced a bit of abuse in the car? When somebody said something to you at work that was particularly mean, somebody did something behind your back and got you into strife. I guess our natural tendency is to get them back, isn't it? <laughs> Paul's, sorry, Peter is telling us, paying back not evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing. I don't think that naturally, I don't think that means, you know, when some guy comes up to you in the street and punches you in the nose that you, you know, have to sit down and pray for him on the spot. I, I'm not sure that's, but I think what he's talking about here is, is our attitude of love and compassion and concern that we would have a different attitude to that person who hurts us, who causes us problem. Remember that the recipients of this letter were already experiencing a great amount of personal persecution, mostly because they were doing God's will. Peter wanted to warn them that official persecution was just around the corner, and we know that it came. The Romans were absolutely terrible. And as scripture tells us, the same warning should apply to the church today. We better prepare because, Peter says, we think we're experiencing difficulty times now. We have to be assured that there's much more ahead. The state of the world today should give us reason to believe this is, this is going to be true. Think about how many places around the world are struggling with war, natural disasters. There's nothing unscriptural about it. We're warned about it. We're warned to prepare for it. We're warned to live with it. That's what Peter's talking about today. The main thrust of Peter's message can be found in the last verses of chapter 3. God's grace to us in times of suffering. Peter quotes Isaiah to help us to know how to conquer our fears. You are to regard only the Lord of armies as holy. 
Only he should be feared. Only he should be held in awe. He will be a sanctuary. But for the two houses of Israel, he will be a stone to stumble over and a rock to trip over and a trap to snare the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And again, Peter 3, 13, But in your hearts, regard Christ as holy, ready at any time to give a defence to anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that is in you. I'm guessing that most of you, when we're talking about the fear of the Lord, realise that we're not talking about being scared of him. There's nothing to be scared about with God. It's a matter of awe and respect. Not forgetting that he is the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the creator of the universe. I wonder what sort of fears you've got at the moment because of the situation you're in. The Reserve Bank hasn't helped some of you this last year, have they? (laughs) Many families here and in our communities are suffering. We read every day of people that can't get basic housing. Fears must they have. Judy and I are fearful when our grandkids come home and tell us what goes on in their local, in their local schools. It's scary and I, I fear, I worry for my grandkids. And a lot of it is to do with what they're being taught in school, not just the influence the other kids are having on them. And I admire parents these days who are having to cope with all this stuff going on day after day. That illness that won't go away, that pain that you have that won't go away. Some of you here this morning, I know, have recurring illnesses that you've been dealing with for years. What does Peter say to you this morning? He says that the answer is to sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. And then we will never need to fear men or circumstances. It sort of sounds a bit complicated, doesn't it? Sanctify as Lord in your hearts. Sounds like something you'd have to go to Bible college to understand. But it simply means that we need to have our hearts apart, set apart for God's use. God's purpose. Is that where you are today? Have you set your heart aside for God and for his purpose? Have you given yourself totally to him? Every area of your life or is there some things you're holding back? Because I believe what Peter is telling us this morning is as we live with the totality of our lives, all that we are given to Christ and looking to him 
then he's going to carry us through every situation we find ourselves in. Every pain, every pain, every financial problem. Our enemies may hurt us, but they can never have the final victory, says Peter. Only God has the final victory for those who, whose hearts are focused on him. The Bible never promises an easy life as a Christian. The Bible never promises that when you become a Christian, suddenly life is all rosy and everything's terrific and you're going to be happy and out of trouble every day. There's nowhere in Scripture that tells you that. What Scripture does tell us is that Jesus Christ died, firstly, to cover our sins, and that secondly, he rose again to conquer anything that would attack us, physical, mental, or spiritual. Want to talk about blessings? When you go home, have a look at Matthew 5 again and read the Beatitudes. That's what God promises you through the trials and tribulations of life. When Jesus Christ is Lord of our lives, each crisis we go through, we go through becomes an opportunity to witness. Peter calls this a defence in verse 15 of chapter 3. And it's the same word used to, in de, I'm sorry, used, um, the, the word defence is the same used, it's used in a courtroom, defending another person or a situation. As we grow in our faith, we need to be ready to tell people why we live the way we live. As we grow as Christians, as we study God's word, as we experience living in and under Christ, as we live with Jesus Christ as Lord in our hearts and minds, all Christians should be able to give and develop a reasonable defence of the hope that you have in Jesus, an answer for the way you live. Another thing that Peter says is that we have to be careful that the way we live backs up what we say very easy to have the Christian platitudes and then your neighbours see you down the street, tab office or Peter never suggests that we argue with lost people when we are defending our stand, but rather that we present to the unsaved an account of what we believe and why we believe it, and that we do it in a loving manner, not a standover manner. The purpose is to win souls, says Peter, not to win an argument. And again, he says that people not only listen to what we say, but they watch and observe how we act. Towards the end of the chapter, Peter talks about uh, witnessing 
and that our witness, uh, sorry, he describes our witness as being given in a good conscience. The internal judge <laughs> that's in all of us and witnesses to us that enables us to know either approving our actions or accusing them. As your conscience. Somebody has compared conscience to a window that lets in the light of God's truth. If we persist in disobeying, the window gets dirtier and dirtier until the light can't get through it at all. So how important it is to maintain that relationship with God and to keep the window of our conscience clear and clean. Peter says that good conscience fortifies us with courage because we know we are right with God and with each other. And so when Christ is Lord of your life, Peter would say to us this morning, don't have to fear threats, opinions or the actions of anybody, including our enemies and the enemy. Because you can be sure that if you're taking a stand for Jesus Christ, you've got a target on your back. And the evil one is going to throw whatever he can at you to bring you unstuck. And the evil one is smart because <laughs> he usually picks at your most vulnerable point. That's where the attack will come from. That's when we have nothing but the Lord to fall back on. Christians and Christian standards today are being accused and lied about. And that's because our personal standards are not those of an unsaved world. We just have a very different standard of living. We have a different master than the world does. And we just have to accept the accusations and the judgment. There's nothing we can do about it. Except be Jesus wherever you are, in whatever place you happen to be, day by day. I think it's, you know, we get a lot of, the church gets a lot of criticism, but I think it's a fairly fair comment to say that Christians don't, much, don't so much as create problems, but often we highlight them. My grandson, 14, came home from school about a fortnight ago and was upset that one of his friends had gotten into trouble. And I said, well, what happened? He said, well, we had a new kid come to school today and the way the kid was dressed, nobody actually knew if it was a boy or a girl. We can relate to that. They all dress alike, these kids, don't they? But the problem was at lunchtime, my grandson's friend went and asked the kid, was this kid a boy or a girl? And a teacher overheard. And that child was hauled up to the headmasters, reprimanded and kept in after school. 
because somebody took offence to being asked if they were a boy or a girl. We had friends in the north of the state that told us about a school in um, Wagga. Wagga. There's a high school a girl in, in one of the schools in Wagga and apparently she has decided that she's a cat. And um, one kid in her class got into trouble for standing on her tail, apparently. But the rubber really hit the road when the girl requested that kitty litter be put in the toilet for her. That wasn't the problem. I mean, the girl's got a problem, obviously. The school refused, as you're not surprised about. The problem was her parents are now suing the school for not supplying the girl with kitty litter. Brothers and sisters in Christ, this is what we're facing every day of the week. This is what your kids and your grandkids are seeing at school every day of the week. This is what we're seeing on international scenes every day of the week where a man like Mr Putin decides that he can have whichever country he wants in the world and it doesn't matter how he gets it. This is what we're living with. Is it any wonder that we get criticised and argued at because we don't believe in those sorts of things? But Peter says, Christ in your heart, with Christ in your life, with Christ controlling what you do and what you say, you can live through these situations and be victorious in them. Let a born-again Christian start work in an office or move into some university situation and in a short time there'll be problems because Christians in those situations become lights in a dark world. So of course you're going to get into strife. You're living contrary to how the world tells you you should be living. Paul tells the Philippians to live so that you may be blameless and pure, children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation, among whom you shine like stars in the world. Are you shining? <laughs> or are you giving in? Sometimes it's easy to go with it and to shine, isn't it? Peter says, Christians reveal the unfruitful works of darkness. And Paul says in Ephesians 5.11, don't participate in the fruit, fruitless works of darkness, but instead expose them. Remember the Old Testament story of Joseph. When he began working in Potiphar's house, he refused to sin. Had plenty of opportunity. When he refused, he was falsely accused and thrown into prison. That's just what we can expect. Or the Babylonian government officials who schemed to get Daniel in trouble because his life and work were a witness against them and their way of life. 
The Lord Jesus, by his very life on earth, revealed the sinful hearts and the deeds of people. This is exactly why he was crucified. Do you believe that Jesus died for Mr. Putin? <laughs> or that poor girl that thinks she's a cat in Wagga? He did. So if Jesus died for them, doesn't that mean that we should have compassion on them? Doesn't that mean we should love them? Doesn't mean you have to agree with them. Our world is so mixed up that people call evil good and good evil. Nothing new. The religious leaders of Jesus' day called him a malefactor, which means one who does evil things. So what is Peter saying to us this morning as we come to a conclusion? As times of difficulty come into our lives and the life of the church, Peter calls us to cultivate Christian love because he says we are going to need one another's help and encouragement like never before. He also encourages us to develop and maintain a good conscience because a good conscience makes for strong backbone and a courageous witness as long as the basis of that conscience, conscience is the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter says that we are to all practice the Lordship of Christ in every aspect of our lives. And he says if we fear God, we don't need to fear man. Samuel Johnson was a, an educator, a clergyman, a philosopher in the 18th century, so well before any of us were born. He said, shame arises from the fear of men, conscience from the fear of God. Let's pray together. Father, we, we live in a world where life can be hard, even cruel. But as we realise what Peter has been telling us this morning, Lord, that the world is evil, it's no wonder we face opposition. Evil manifests itself in all sorts of different ways, physical ways, practical ways, emotional ways, even spiritual ways. Help us, Lord, to live our lives totally focused on you and help us this morning to look into our lives and to ask you to expose any area where we haven't made you Lord of our lives. Father, we want to be yours. We want to be the bright shining stars in the world of darkness. We are so human, we can't do it on our own. So we thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit and ask that they would fill and renew us each one daily to be the people that you want us to be.
today. Amen. Perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love. Whoever lives and pleads for me. My name is graven on his hands. My name is written on his heart. I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me then stay apart. No tongue can bid me then stay apart. Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within. Upward I look and see him there who made an end to all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied To look on Him and pardon me To look on Him and pardon me Behold Him there, the risen Lamb My perfect spotless righteousness the great unchangeable I am, the King of glory and of grace. For with himself I cannot die, my soul is purchased with his blood. My life is hid with Christ on high, with Christ my Savior and my God. Christ my Savior and my God For with Himself I cannot die My soul is purchased with His blood My life is hid with Christ on high With Christ my Savior and my God With Christ my Savior and my God